0: I'm excited to be here. I can tell it's football season, though, because uh, since summer, the audience has shifted. This service is a little fewer people, and the 8 a.m. service is a few more people. I couldn't have anything to do with football being on, right? So um, it's cool uh, to be back. I'm very excited about it. Ryan Russell and this service. Thank you, guys. They, They shorted me an L last hour, and so they put my L back, and it's nice to have it. So I'm um, very uh, glad to be here and uh, enjoy doing all kinds of stuff with you guys. I was here last weekend. I got to peek in and uh, see the service, and I've been trying to stay connected with what's going on with your uh, Sandy Relief efforts. I live in Phoenix, and so I just try to keep up on the web and all that, and then, and then last weekend, um, you know, got to see a little bit about what you guys were doing, and uh, it was cool to catch some of the recap videos and hear how God is moving and and, uh, challenging your church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but um, your youth ministry is really super cool. Uh, Maybe you have some kids in there, but um, Nate's doing a great job down there. I poked my head in there last week and man, that room was full of teenagers who uh, were making meals and getting ready to go out. And I understand it wasn't their first weekend doing that project, so Pretty sweet stuff. Um, hopefully, uh, you guys all started worshiping last night, um, God, because I was worshiping last night. I got off the plane. I was checking Sports Center updates. Notre Dame was winning, and then I, you know, got some food and got to watch as uh, God was definitely at work. And number uh, one in the nation, and number two in the nation lost, which means uh, what we've learned about God in uh, the last couple of weeks between uh, the elections. And Notre Dame now being number one is A, God is certainly not Mormon. um, And B, um, uh, God is probably Catholic or at least this year, okay? So... um, this year God is Catholic because Romney lost and Notre Dame is winning. So that's what we know about God. I'm, I'm super excited because I'm a lifelong Notre Dame fan and it's been a lot of very difficult years for like, you know, since the last late 80s or something since, you know, we were in it. So had to celebrate, you know, started worshiping God last night and just carried it on into this morning. Um, I, uh, I get the opportunity to travel uh, on an ongoing basis, it's uh, part of the nature of my job. As some of you know, or I've explained to you before, I work for a nonprofit Christian organization called XXXChurch.com. XXXChurch.com. And uh, what we do is we help people who are struggling with porn and sex addictions, from the front side of raising awareness that such things exist uh, to some preventative stuff, software filters, uh, online information, all the way to the recovery side of helping people uh, get out. Of that. And in the process of my job, what I do for our organization is um, I oversee our evangelism efforts into the industry and with consumers. And so um, building relationships with people who make pornography, um, all the way to connecting with people who are on the consumer side of it and don't know anything about Jesus, and uh, helping them uh, in unexpected ways to find God while struggling uh, inside of this environment possibly wrestling with addictions. And so what that looks like for us is, uh, um, I know this doesn't sound like a real job, I know this, but um, I'm going to tell you anyways. I go to uh, uh, adult or porn conventions all around the world, and I take missions teams to them. So yes, when I'm at home and I'm with my friends, and they say, wait, Ryan, what do you do for a living? Well, as you would... um, wouldn't believe I go to porn conventions for a living, you know, and then my buddies chuckle and I tell them I'm a pastor and they still think it's funny. Uh, but that's what I do. So a couple weekends ago, I was in Toronto and they have a con- adult convention up there. And these conventions are just like any other conventions. There's the uh, industry side of it where there's companies that um, are setting up booth spaces in a convention hall and, you know, from small booths to big booths. Um, they've got, you know, the things there to display their wares and their products and their people and their films and all their websites and live streaming and all this other craziness that we're not going to go into detail about. And um, then there's the consumer side, people who want to come and meet the industry people. And so they pay up to $50 a ticket to come into this convention. And um, it's happened throughout the world. And I go and I work with local churches and we take missions teams into them. We set up uh, in the convention space and we rent uh, a, a 10 by 20 foot uh, piece of real estate and we share Jesus there. You know, we have a backdrop and, you know, fancy banners and all this stuff. And they say com. and throughout the years, you know, we've had some creative marketing slogans. One of them is the number one Christian porn site um, causes people to scratch their head and go, what kind of craziness is that? You know, and and then, uh, you know, this one we use now is talks about the love that God has for people Um, that are caught up in this world and and it says Jesus loves porn stars, you know, and it provocatively tries to connect people with, well, what does Jesus love or who uh, does Jesus love? So that's what I I do. And I was in Toronto two weeks ago, last week, uh, whether you're um, proud of this or repulsed by it, uh, you know, somewhere on that spectrum, uh, New Jersey is home to one of the largest uh, adult conventions annually, over forty thousand people come through this convention in a weekend. It was happens uh, down in Edison, New Jersey. So I was here last weekend, uh, doing that, leading a team, doing outreach uh, in that stuff, um, in that place as well. So that that's what I do. And uh, by the nature of my job, and also probably just a little bit of my personality, um, I see lots of people. And either I'm an amateur professional, or probably a professional amateur, like. I try to like understand people. Like I'm a, not just a people watcher, but I try to like figure out like motives and just the sociology of like what moves people. And when you're in a space like that, you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people like through the weekend rolling by, and you're interacting with them, and you're trying to find different ways to connect with them. And for us, it's not a product, but it's a message of of hope and. Uh, it's a message, not only a practical hope and where they're living at now and things that we could possibly help them with, but it's also a, a message of spiritual hope. And so you're trying to find different ways to connect with people. And you have like the people who are caught off guard and interested to the people that are very disinterested or those that are neutral. And then there's this other uh, set of people that they're just kind of glazed over. Um, and you see these people. They are not just at these kinds of conventions. They're at all conventions. They're in the mall. You know, they're in all kinds of public places. You see people. They're just they're disconnected. You know, their eyes are kind of blank, and they're just going through life. Um, and and I, I see these people or people in these scenarios, and I'm like, why? You know, I just kind of wonder, like, why are you disconnected? Like for the convention space I'm wondering why are you disconnected? You just paid fifty dollars to be in here and wander around like is it your habits or your addictions um, or just your nature you have to be here now and you're not emotionally or intellectually attached to this, but you're just going through it like why are you um, in this place and and I just kind of it leads me to a process like how do we get how do we get disconnected? from reality, like or the reality of either being in a convention or like for me, I get disconnected from the reality of anytime my wife wants to take me to the mall, like I'm just one of those zombies walking around, you know. Um, but how do people get disconnected? And how do people get um, disconnected when something like uh, Hurricane Sandy happens? Like how is it possible for people to stay disconnected? Uh, it hit me as I was thinking through even that thought as I was here last week, like the difference between you and me. Like um, when I say you and me, I mean like residents of New Jersey versus residents of Phoenix. Like there's something different about natural disasters when when the people are affected are your people versus those people. Like, I mean, we're all in this together. We're American citizens. Hopefully we all voted and, you know, had some passion in uh, being um, Americans and all that stuff. But, you know, when you live in Phoenix, I, I hate to break this to you, but it's gotta be one of the safest places in America to live. I haven't looked that up statistically, but we don't get hurricanes. We don't get tornadoes and we don't get earthquakes. Like there are no natural disasters. Our worst day is 120 degrees or a dust storm. We just go inside like you won't find us turn down the air conditioner and we're inside. I mean, I guess the worst thing that could happen to us is we could lose a little bit of power and there could be a rolling blackout. I've never experienced it. I'd lose my AC unit. You know, I guess that could happen, but it's never happened. So when you're living in a place like Phoenix, especially right now where it's sunny and 75 today, um, not rubbing that one in, uh, just kidding. I was cold this morning. I, I thought I needed a jacket. I was informed it was a coat that I needed. Uh, there's, and I'm like, a coat? I don't even know what a coat is. There, there's something warmer than a sweatshirt, I've been informed. Um, we don't need these in Arizona. So 75, you know, it's sunny and nothing ever happens. So when something like... Sandy comes through and it hits national news. When you live in a place like Phoenix, if it's on national news or it's on CNN.com or, you know, it's taking up Facebook conversation or it's the buzz on Twitter or trending topic, like then you're in Phoenix, you're going to grab a hold of it. But as soon as it's not that thing, it's not on our radar. I hate to break it to you. However, you know, frustrated or envious or whatever you are of us who live in Phoenix, especially during the winter. Like it just, it doesn't stay because it's those people. But for you right now, what you're going through, it's our people, right? Like, and maybe out here in Summit, like Chris talked about last week, maybe there's still a little bit of that disconnect because, you know, like Chris said, the worst thing that happened to him was, you know, he lost power for a few days, you know, and, and he's complaining about like, oh, I don't have Internet or I don't have hot water, you know, and all those kinds of things. And then he posted on Twitter and I see something like that. And I, you know, I'm not laughing at the victims, like people truly hurt, but I did laugh at Chris, like, ah, you don't have a hot shower. You know, I'm kind of chuckling about that. But, you know, there's still even that possibility to disconnect between here and Staten Island, Right. Because it's those people versus our people. And so I, I wrestle with that and I think that through. And um, and then I got to thinking, like, like, you know, God, you know, I'm comfortable in Phoenix. like, And I kind of, like, started taking an inventory, like, how many of these could I remember? Like, how many of the most recent, you know, natural disasters could I even remember? And and. My memory, like, I was like, oh, okay, Katrina, and then I, you know, Haiti, and then because of like uh, what the tsunami did, you know, I could remember Japan, and then some of the YouTube videos I saw of Thailand, and then I tried, tried putting those in a chronological order. And, it, you know, for me, it got tough. I was like, what year was that, and what one year was that, and was, which one was before which, and how bad were they? And so I had to go and look it up. And and uh, you know Japan, the earthquake that caused the tsunami there—that was 2011. And for perspective, um, that was uh, 20,000 people est- on rough estimate that died in that. The Haiti earthquake was January 2010. Um, that was uh, 223,000 people who died in that. There was this other earthquake I'd never heard of called the Cinchuan earthquake. Um, it was, happened over in Asia. It was May 2008. Uh, I don't even remember reading about this on CNN.com. So 88,000 people died. It didn't ping on my radar at all. I, you know... Um, There was a cyclone. Again, I'd never heard about this. This also happened. Both these things happened, in fact, um, within 10 days of each other, that earthquake where 88,000 people died. This cyclone had happened 10 days earlier in the Burma area, um, and 139,000 people died in that. Two events, I, I either was disconnected, or these just didn't register in American popular news. Um, there was another earthquake, a Java earthquake that was 2006, that 6,000 people died. Um, there was a Kashmir earthquake, um, in October of 2005, that was 74,000 people died. There was Hurricane Katrina, which we talked about, um, not to diminish that, but that on the scale of things, that was 2,000, um, people that died. Uh, there was some floods in, uh, in Mumbai, uh, that was 1,200 people. And then there was that South Asian tsunami that I talked about that affected China or uh, Thailand and the region. Um, I didn't realize that that was as far back ago as December 2004. And that was, again, a quarter of a million people who died. And I, I'm not trying to be depressing. I know that this is incredibly depressing, and I'm certainly not trying to be trite. I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand as I think through this, like not just the magnitude of all of this, but when you live in a really safe place like Phoenix, like I, whatever this says about me, I'm not, I'm still trying to figure out, but like it doesn't register. There's this disconnect. And not only is there this disconnect, like it might register for the moment. And we probably all had this happen where an event happens, like the earthquakes in San Francisco, you have to go back even further. And all those graphic scenes, like where I was in the earthquakes in LA and I was out at school when those happened, like, like there's this disconnect that happens where these things become moments, like that get filed back into our memories and like they don't stay on our brain and they don't stay on our hearts, And it gets even more challenging when it's those people versus our people. Like I promise, like Staten Island, like I've not been there yet. Like I just, I ran ran the shore last weekend. I was on the Jersey side down in the South Amboy area. And I was seeing those residents grappling with, you know, just the damage that happened in that region, that small area of Jersey. And that's nothing compared to what I've seen on video from you guys and other places about Staten Island and, South Manhattan and some of the other places that were affected. And when it's, when it's us, when it's our people, it stays because it stays. And so we're going to wrestle with that um, just a little bit this morning. The porn people, interestingly enough, I thought they were going to cancel their convention. Like, you know, I was looking up information like, oh, you know, Edison doesn't have power. Edison doesn't have gas. Edison doesn't have drinking water. You'd think those three factors would stop, you know, an adult show. I don't know. Call me crazy. I just thought, you know, no gas, no water, um, you know, n- none of these, you know, amenities, like the hotel has nothing. The convention center's not open. Like it'd be, you know, there's a, some teacher's convention happened the same weekend. that has been going on in this state for 125 years on the same weekend. They canceled that, right? So they're going to cancel the porn show. No, they didn't. Um, they, uh, They, you know, instead we, found a way inside this industry to spin it, like most other industries would, to like, oh, we got to give back, you know, and like, you know, kind of capture the moment and let business moves on, but we'll slide in this charitable effort and we'll see what happens. Well, they raised $5,000, 40,000 people, that's 12 cents a person. Like, and I was like, all right, okay, you know, I'm a part of this industry too, but like, this is Craziness, it, it moved on. Why, why does some of this stuff just not penetrate? We're going to study that this morning. We're going to turn to uh, chapter 13 of Matthew. So if you brought your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. Let's pray together while we dive into that. God, this morning as we, uh, we take some moments and we pause and we study your word, we pray that um the the stuff that we're wrestling with right now with sandy and people in need and and all that's going on in our world and even these past events and there's still regions of the world that have been devastated and are still trying to recover that you would connect that with our spiritual lives and that you would move us um as we're going to talk about this morning on this journey uh, with you. God, uh, may your word penetrate us and into our hearts and take root and, and shape us and change us and to uh, continue to grow up into the people that you're uh, calling us to be, that you created us to be. God, we love you and we thank you for uh, this chance to be together. In your son's name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter uh, 13 Jesus tells this parable. You've probably heard it before. It's quite simple. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Still some other seed uh, fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up up and was choked, uh, the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus uh, used a really simple analogy to talk about a spiritual issue. He says there's a farmer. And he's trying to produce some crop and he has some seed and he throws it in these different places. It's an analogy for God's word and our lives. He likens us to different types of soil. And he he paints this picture of this spectrum moving from like this horrible, hard, you know, why would you ever throw it on a a path? Like going out to the sidewalk or throwing it on the street? Like it's just going to sit on the surface. It can't, the, the layer over the soil is so hard that it will never penetrate. And before it ever gets a chance, it'll be, uh, it'll be snatched up and taken away. From that end of the spectrum, all the way down to this other end of the spectrum, then he paints this picture of uh, really uh, nutrient-rich, dark, available soil where a harvest will come out. And then there's these varying degrees of harvest from 30 to 60 to 100 times. He paints this spectrum for us. In this spiritual spectrum of God's word taking root in our lives, there's also another uh, spectrum that we're grappling with. There's the spectrum of uh, generosity or of giving. Like there are people that don't give at all. You know, like the kind of the classic, you know, Scrooge sort of person. Maybe you've met this person before. They usually don't self-identify very quickly in our culture. But there are people who have a very hard heart uh, to the point where they don't, they don't give at all in response to seeing a natural disaster or anything else. They're way over here on this side and they will not move with their time, with their energies, with their resources, their abilities, their finances in any way, shape or form to help other people. And then along this spectrum, you know that there's different types of giving. There's uh, what I would call like emotionally based in the moment sort of giving. You know, for some reason, whatever reason, whether it's a video on the screen, a TV at night, um, something viral that you've seen from Charity Water to, you know, the seasonal sort of emotionally based giving having to do with kids who aren't getting Christmas gifts or something along those lines. Like there's that. There's uh, giving in the moment when it's presented to us and we're inclined to give. Um, and then we're hit at just the right moment. Maybe we're flushed with cash because we just got paid or because of whatever reasons or uh, th- those giving moments happen. There's disciplined giving where I move from in the moment or occasional to on a regular basis I give. And, and the church uh, talk about this idea of tithe, giving back, that God's Teaching us how to be discipline givers, and then all the way on the far side of the spectrum is what I would call um, a lifestyle of generosity. That moves beyond just uh, discipline into this like it is who I am. I am generous with with all that I have, or with a portion of what I do. Like maybe it's like I'm very generous with my uh my dollars or i'm really generous with my talents or i'm really generous with my time but it's it's a lifestyle i just give out of this as who i am so there's this spectrum of giving you know and and god his word is trying to move us uh, Chris, in the last couple of weeks, he's talked uh, in challenges that have been great about go and do likewise, go and do likewise. And he shared some stories and some teachings of Jesus to talk about giving and helping those in need and serving and go and do likewise. But as you go and do likewise, I, uh, the challenge is like, will you go and do likewise? Where on that spectrum of this giving will that fit in? Like, for me, um, I am not uh, so much like this in the moment, emotionally based giver. Whatever it says about me, like I've never been one of those individuals who's been compelled by somebody standing on the street corner with a hat or a cup asking me for $5. Like that's just never been me. Like I've not connected there. I rarely, if ever that I can remember, connect with a video on a screen asking me for an in the moment gift. Like I am probably I guess more a little analytical giver that when I give wherever I've been on the spectrum I've always wanted to kind of figure out like you know well how is this gift going to be used and is this the best place to give it is this a great organization what are their administrative I know it sounds really boring but I go I kind of go into that like I want to ask some probing questions and I want to get a good return on that investment of giving you know, there's times where I've been those that seasonal, like I want to give and an opportunity has presented itself and here's my discipline giving out here. But then, you know, there's those times where when hit just right, you know, like disaster relief and a challenge from a church or an opportunity in a community where I'll get connected with that and I'll kind of forgo like some of the analytics of it all. I mean, because at the end of the day, like, you know, you can analyze you're giving just like you can analyze any other of your expenditures. Like, I think I'm going to go to the store and get this product because it says it's going to do this. And I've researched it and yada, yada, yada. Well, we've all done that and it's not worked out, right? Like you've been there before. Like you thought you did a really good background check, you know, or you read a movie review and it got like 80 something tomatoes, you know, or whatever on the, you know, scorecard. And and it, it just stunk like 007 this weekend. You know, there's things like that. Like you've analyzed it, you've spent, and it's still not worked out. So one type of giving isn't always necessarily better than another type of giving. But there's still this spectrum. And Jesus is trying to paint this picture of of the spectrum of spiritual availability to God and his word. And are we going to be out here on the crusty, hard side of stuff? Or are we going to be way over here, far to my right, your left, on the spectrum where we're disciplined in giving, we're available to giving, and we're moving towards a lifestyle of generosity? Where are we at when it comes to this aspect of our lives? And that is the stuff that gets challenged, like that challenges me because not only do I want to move with God towards this side of the spectrum, What I really want to do is, like, I want my heart to be available so stuff sticks. Like, I don't like the fact that, like, you know, I can quickly disconnect just because I live in this sunny, nice, wonderful place that has no natural disasters that, like, I can disconnect from it all. I don't necessarily like that about me. And I think it's challenging, especially the more I travel and I get to interact with people uh, as they're affected by different things, or just coming to New Jersey and now it's been affected. And I have friends here, and it's like I don't I don't want to be disconnected. And God is God is uh stretching, stretching me in all that. There uh, if you uh track with the latter part of the scripture, it says this uh, in Matthew chapter 13. A little bit further down, it says, Jesus says in verse 13, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you. He's talking to his disciples. uh, um, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus talks about this nature in us where um, in this idea of farming, it's a co-op farm. We're farming the soil together with him. And he's trying to speak and he's trying to show and he's trying to engage us. But we have to be partnered in this farming process with him. That we have to want to listen, we have to want to see, that we have to want to respond, that we seek Him and go, God. Like I am not happy with the condition of my heart. I'm not. I'm not happy with the crust on the outside. I want a few more things to penetrate. I see that Your Word is leading me that direction, and that's who You are. You know, there's this uh, interesting thing that happens in times of disaster and uh, overwhelming chaos and. Pain and suffering like we 're standing here in these moments, and they 're hitting us, and they 're overwhelming and uh, they 're hurtful and and for some of us it 's been extreme loss and in these moments, as we 're overwhelmed and we 're processing how does this all happen, and what does this all mean and God, what should I do like it 's really easy to go from here to like way over here, and we want to wrestle with this idea out here theologically and philosophically uh, with God, like we want to be angry at God and And, uh, you know, our minds can go that direction. And God, why do you, like, questions like, why do you make this happen? Or why do you allow this to happen? In between, like, here, here's where we are, and way out here, like, in this big, like, gigantic philosophical picture, we skip over the question, like, God, in this moment, what do you want to do to me? Or what do you want to do through me in these moments. Like we want to get all the way out here to God and we want to skip past ourselves. It's just human nature. Like, you know, to shift like our responsibilities and kind of put them out here. I don't believe that God causes these things on purpose. I do believe that God allows them to happen. And in these moments, I think, and through this process, whether it's these one-time disasters or ongoing hurts and needs of the world... God is trying to grab a hold of our hearts and move His people into action to be His expression of love and care and tenderness. And it's been so cool to see uh, Renaissance get that, like to see and hear the stories and follow it and keep connected and call Chris and all this stuff. Like, and to see the youth ministry respond, like that's been incredible. And I think the follow-up challenge as the church continues to grow and as you continue to grow as individuals and as I continue to try to grow is, God, will this just be a moment and then eventually I'll disconnect? Or will this moment lead to an ongoing process in my heart that leads me down this pathway towards lifestyle of generosity and service? Will this just be a seasonal gift or an emotional moment Or will this this time be something that leads me towards discipline, that leads me past discipline and just to an ongoing spirit of what I do and how I do it because I'm moved by you? It's a super difficult challenge and one that God wants to wrestle with us on. Chris has said week after week, go and do likewise, go and do likewise, go and do likewise. Like that's been an incredible challenge. And I think the coupling of that challenge is like how will that go and do likewise permeate into our, our every day our every week, our next months. Like if there is a coupling challenge that goes with that, is it, will it be momentary or will it be a lifestyle? And it's so cool to see God growing that in some of you and in this church to see that springing forth and to know that he's active and alive and he's at work this week. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this resource or not. It's kind of new, I think. But online, uh, Renaissance has um, a study guide or a follow-up quiet timer. I'm not exactly sure of the name of it. But Clay's been writing these follow-up things that you can do uh, to continue to track further with the messages that we teach on Sunday morning. And so I just want to challenge you to dig in deeper And uh, spend some time camping out on Matthew 13 and some of the other challenges that Clay will bring that you can download and you can read through and you can uh, start dialoguing about this journey with God. Because I think that he's uh, beginning to do a work, not only in this church, but in some of you. And it's cool to see this journey. But for others of us, God's got to get past some crusty edges and we need to be cooperative farmers with him in preparing the soil. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this church. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I wish uh, I was able to be here every single weekend. Uh, just the spirit that is moving in this church and these people. And uh, it's so great uh, to have relational connections and to see as, uh, as I'm able at times with my nieces and nephews when there's time apart and then coming back together and to see Real noticeable growth, that's evident here. And uh, I pray for each of us, myself uh, certainly included, that you will continue uh, to meet with me and uh, together we would work on the condition of my heart so that it would be available to your word, to your teaching, and to your movement of how you want to be alive and active in this world. God, thank you for the ways that you move and that you bless us. And uh, be with us as we go forward this week, In your son's name we pray. Amen.